Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is the final episode of season four. This season, we've been discussing the evolution needed in commercial real estate when it comes to the customer experience. We've learned over the last year that we don't need an office to succeed. And over the last few weeks, we've learned how commercial real estate should evolve to stay relevant as an important tool in the platform of work. Big shout out to Jason Brett and the team at a podcast company for producing this podcast. Be sure to hit them up for your own podcast needs. Thank you to each and every one of my guests this season for sharing so much insight as we create the future of commercial real estate together. I have to list everyone, of course. Basil Dimarutis at Four Partnership. Dan, the man Rossum, Mr. CXO of Dreamplex. Ben Munn from JLL. The skipper at Liquid Space, Mark Gilbreth. Andrew Karn from BP and Kieran Delaney at meetingsbooker.com. The inventor of the Nook, David Akoyman. The brilliant Francesca Brady, CEO at Air Rated. Hitting commercial real estate like a wrecking ball, Mr. Alex Turner from CBRE. My fellow event prof and workplace senior VP at Salesforce, Michelle Schneider. Thank you so much. And of course, my guest for this episode. Are you ready? In this episode, I'm joined by my friend, Joe Walton, who is co-founder and managing partner of Fight or Flight, a dynamic media company here in London. The enterprise companies make all the headlines, but they employ just 40% of the UK population. 60% of the UK work for SMEs, small to medium-sized businesses. Thank you, Anthony Slumbers, for that stat. It's time we give the SMEs like Fight or Flight some airtime. I'm a big fan of Joe and his challenge to status quo mindset. He says, Building a business used to be synonymous with having an office, not anymore. Virtual meetings level the playing field for new companies when pitching and has enabled Joe to hire senior talent he wouldn't have considered in a pre-pandemic world. But Joe still believes the office has tremendous value and will be an important tool for his business growth. In this episode, we talk about challenges of establishing company culture, how to engage team members about workplace, testing flexible work policies, and how workplace brand plays a role in deciding where to work. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Now, before we dive in, I want to set the record straight. My LinkedIn content was labeled anti-office rhetoric recently, which is a bit ironic considering I'm the founder of a space as a service brand. Yes, I'm a big believer in the work from anywhere movement. But sometimes that anywhere is an office. I believe we should replace the versus with a plus. The office plus home, not the office versus home. That's what work from anywhere is about. So if you ever thought I was anti-office, this episode should change your mind. Let's go meet Joe. Welcome back to the World Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. And today I'm joined by my friend, Joe Walton, managing partner at Fight or Flight, a B2B agency specializing in integrated communications that delivers emotional and commercial impact. Joe and his co-founders launched the firm in April 2020 in the middle of lockdown number one over here in the UK. Quite bold, I might say. Joe has 15 years experience creating and executing international communications programs for enterprises like Microsoft, BAE Systems, CAG, Gemini, Honeywell, Symantec, and IBM, as well as high-growth scale-ups like Tableau, Concur, and Hybris. 
So he talks the talk and he walks the walk. Now, prior to founding Fighter Flight, Joe spent 13 years at global PR firm Weber Shamwick, where we met in my previous role. More on that later. He was managing director of its technology and B2B practice for the last four years. And in his role, he led a team of 40 consultants in the firm's London office and led the IBM Weber relationship across 40 markets in Europe. Welcome to the Workbook Podcast, Joe. Great to be here, Caleb. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on, and I'm very proud to bring down the curtain on what has been a glittering season four for the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for, for being our final guest of season four. Final, but uh, not the final season, hopefully. And no better guest to have than you, considering what we're going to discuss today, the profile you bring, but also who you are as my friend. So thank you for joining. We really appreciate it. No, uh, no worries. It's great. And I, 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 want, I want to say this off the bat for the listeners. You know, you, you've always been somebody who've, um, who's inspired me a lot. And uh, you played a big role in uh, helping me to make the decision to you know, become an entrepreneur or a fake entrepreneur, as I call myself, because unlike you, I didn't go out and get funding and have a burn rate and everything else. Um, I sort of did what I was already doing and then spun out and did it for my, myself. But um, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. And you, you, played, a, you played a very big role in, in some of those very important decisions that I've made. So um, yeah, I'm very glad to be here talking about some of those topics today. Joe, you're trying to make me blush, and nobody can see that. So, <laughs> but, but no, th seriously, thank you. And you know, it's been my pleasure to to be your friend over the years. And as you were going through and making your decisions, you know, your last year, year before, I've enjoyed our conversations. And uh, you're definitely not a fake entrepreneur. You're out there making money. So, in fact, you know, you just celebrated your year one anniversary of fight or flight. <laughs> I, I have to say, um, I, I do know a little bit of what you were thinking, but what the hell were you thinking starting a new business in the middle of a lockdown? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Well, you were, you were on the inside of the, you were inside the information curve on that one, Caleb. So uh, if you remember, you and I went for coffee at roast, no grind on London bridge. And uh, most people that I had told uh, my close family included that I was planning on uh, launching the agency into the pandemic thought I was crazy and your eyes lit up and, and you thought I was crazy in a very good way uh, <laughs> told me and told me I should I should absolutely go for it and it'll be great and fortune favors uh, favors the bold um, and uh, I'd say based on the evidence of the last 12 months uh, you were definitely right well kudos to you and I, I know I gave you an intro um briefly but could you sort of give us your elevator pitch you know now now that you're one year in i'm sure you've got that perfected by now yeah well i, I mean I, i'm not sure i'm ever a man um, who's going to be good at an elevator pitch because as most people know i'm i'm not i'm pretty verbose um however if you imagine you're in the world's longest elevator i'll certainly give it a give it a crack we launched uh, fight or flight as you said april last year we're a b2b communications agency so we help businesses communicate with other businesses. That's a uh, very simple level is, is what we do. So if you're a CIO or sorry, you're an IT services company and you want to sell your software to a CIO, we help you do that. If you're a hygiene and cleaning company and you want to sell your services to uh, you know, a head of operations in a, in a business or a building manager, we help you to do that. If you're a um, somebody that produces knives or coffee machines or um, <laughs> catering equipment and you want to sell to a restaurant, we do that as well. Um, so that's when we talk about B2B communications, that is our, um, that's our kind of sweet spot. What I'd add to that though, Caleb, because I think this is important, 
is that, you know, right now, and this is how we're talking about the role we play in the market, because people might think fight or flight, that is a crazy thing to call your agency. <laughs> um, and so the reason why we're called that and what we think is important is that there is a battle for retention going on um, in our industry right now, a huge battle for retention that's intensifying and intensifying. And you know anybody that wants to communicate with anyone, if you're a consumer brand and you're trying to reach an audience, if you're a government and you're trying to communicate with an audience, you have got to win in this battle for attention. And it's, it's all about where your audience's thumb stops on their mobile phone screen, right? In one of the hundreds of social media platforms they might be on or media outlets that they might be reading. How can you get them to stop their thumb on your content and consume your message and engage in your content. That's extremely difficult no matter who you are. If you're American Golf Discount um, with a Tiger Woods advert, if you're um, you know, a comedian who's got a great snippet from your latest show, it's 15 times more difficult if you are a, a B2B business who's selling something um, relatively dry <laughs> when you put it next to those exhilarating pieces of content people can stop on. And so that's where the bar is. We can't change where the bar is, but what we can do um, is we can help B2B businesses reach that bar with the content, the ideas, and the communications they're putting out. So we're all about helping businesses, B2B businesses, win in that battle for attention. Um, you know, we're called Fight or Flight, and our job you know, is to work with brands that are ready to stand and deliver. Well, you talk about the brands that are ready to stand and deliver. One of the things in we'll get into this a little bit in a moment, but one of the things that I have always appreciated about you is you challenge the status quo. You aren't afraid to go out there and, and pick, a, pick a fight. Uh, so I, was, I really liked the name when you told me what you decided on when you started this company. But um, in this past year, you've won some pretty big clients doing that. So obviously, congrats. But I'm just curious, you know, and, you know this isn't all about your business, this is all about space as a service. Uh, so I want to, I want to talk about that a little bit, but you know, you've won business over the last year in a lockdown, um, or various lockdowns and you've been able to close deals without face to face. So how has that been for you? How have you been able to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it's true. We've had a, we've had a really, a really good 12 months. We've won some big brands. I, I can't talk about most of them externally, which is a source of huge frustration. But um, we love we love working with them. They're brilliant brands. We've been lucky that so many of them have um, have put their trust in us because we're obviously a startup agency. We're a young agency, um, so we're, we're proud of that. We've had um, one of the world's biggest um, travel companies. We've had um, you know one of the world's biggest recruitment companies uh, bring us on. Big global law firm. We just won a big um, kind of <laughs> business broadband provider, household name. So some really, really big um, names above the roster. And as you say, Caleb, many of those pitches, well, actually every single one of those pitches happened um, in a virtual environment. The reason that I think we have been as successful as we have, or, or a big reason, look, we've got a talented team, we're hungry, we're smart, we've got big ideas, um, we work hard, we hustle. That's a big reason why we've had the success we've had. But I do think we've also been lucky in the timing. And I think the, um, the fact that so many pitches have switched to virtual has actually removed a lot of the kind of, I guess, unfair is the wrong word, but let's just say it's leveled the playing field a bit. If you are a younger agency who doesn't have the big swanky office, who doesn't have the, 
you know, isn't able to impress clients with the the nice meeting rooms and the, you know, amazing pitch theatre and pitch craft because you haven't got the budgets um, and you haven't got the space to do it in. You know, all of those things tend to tip the playing field in favour of uh, the, the the kind of the agency that's that's more established, um, that has nicer digs, etc. But because of COVID and because so many pitches have happened virtually, what we've seen is that clients have got to make their decision based on the way somebody looks and sounds in a square. <laughs> you know, all you have when you put everybody in the you know in their living room, everybody looks the same. You know, and you get down to the bare bones of what you need out of it, out of a team and out of an agency, which is quality people that you trust, that you believe can get the job done for you. And so a lot of that paraphernalia that can cloud decision-making is removed. And I think we've also seen clients emboldened as well, Caleb, by, um, you know, the world is changing. We are in a state of massive transition. And I'm excited about talking to you about what that means, particularly in the space as a service sector. But because of that, that sense that we're in a special moment where everything's about to change, I think clients do feel more emboldened to say, yeah, okay, you know, these guys are young, they're hungry, they haven't got, um, they haven't been around for, for, you know, for 10 years, but I back the people that I'm in front of. I know they can get the job done for me. I believe in their experience and their track records, and I'm prepared to take a chance on them because um, it's all change and, and the market is, is changing under my feet and I can feel that. So, yeah, I think it's helped us massively in that respect. But there have been other challenges that I know we'll talk about later. Well, it's certainly much different than you're used to working when you were leading the team at Weber Shanwick. I remember back in the day when you were trekking all the way out to Stanmore to, to pitch my team. And, um, you know, we had the, in fact, you can, you probably came out quite a few times and then, then you hosted us in your swanky offices in Holborn. But, um, do, do you think that, you know, you say it's levels of playing field for you, but do you think it makes it harder for the client now to, to, to make a decision or are you saying it, like you said, it emboldens them to just go for it? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, those were, those are happy memories, Caleb, of, of the Stanmore trips. I used to love that. Yeah, are you I sure? In, yeah, I, I lived in Kilburn at the time. So I used to pop on the Jubilee line and come up to you and we'd nip and get a sandwich uh, in Stanmore and put the world to rights on our, on our way into, uh, into town. Um, yeah, and look, uh, I mean, you have to remember when you and I, or when, when, when we host you at Hoban, hosted you at Hoban for the pitch. And um, do, you, do you remember we had a fire alarm midway through? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, sure did. So, you know, there might have been swanky offices, but... We ended up having meeting in the pub. Yeah, and, and we finished the rest of the pitch in the pub. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, I think that was a quite, probably quite a good um, harbinger for what was going to happen for the rest of the, of the relationship. Um, but, yeah, I, I, look, I think on a serious note, has it has it made it more challenging for clients to make decisions? No, I think it's I think it's produced more clarity for clients because it enables them to focus on the things that matter when selecting partners, whether that's PR agency, marketing agency. We've obviously engaged partners ourselves as well during the process, um, an accountancy firm um, to help us with various bits, law firms, etc. And so we've been on the other side of the of the table, if you like, to making decisions. And again, it's it's easier because you can make multiple appointments. Um, you know, it's like you're. It's almost like the, the process is made so much fairer and more neutral because you're not swayed by where the office is and how big it is and how posed. Because sometimes that can work against you as well. I mean, you know, I had 13 happy, happy years at you know one of the best big agencies in the world, Weber Shandwick, and our, our big office didn't always work in favour actually of us. There were times when clients would come in. 
and say, look, you know, they'd have a really interesting project and they'd have some budget to spend and it'd be the sort of thing that the team would enjoy working on and we'd really want to have a swing at. Um, and the client would say, look, I'm really sorry, but I've walked in through the office doors and I can already tell that you're not the agency for us because, you know, you've got a, a massive swanky office in, in, in central London and, you know, our budgets just aren't that big. Um, and sometimes that's a little bit of a false perception because, you know, often you can make, you can come up with creative ways of making clients' budgets work hard for them, particularly in, in B2B. So I think it works both ways, but I think it's favoured, um, it's helped things for clients, it's helped the person making the decision and in our case, um, it's definitely helped the person um, who's you know pitching for the business as well. Well, if we move away from the client conversation for a moment, um, just in general, you and your team and yeah. and and working the way we're doing now in, in in this past year, and maybe thinking about how that's going to carry into the future. What do you think the best part has been? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I've listened to a few of the the podcasts um, in, in the series that you, you've put together, and um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the the comments that have been made, I would agree wholeheartedly with. So, um, yeah, I, I want to make sure I, I sort of try and add something a little bit different here. So, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. I think for me, um, the, you know, obviously productivity has been great. A lot of people have talked about that. But saving, you know, I'm based in Claygate, out in Surrey, so for me, it probably saves me three hours a day you know, total by the time you've faffed around and got yourself a cup of coffee from, from Costa. Spoiler alert, my wife is the chief customer officer of Costa. So that is oh, why I'm plugging. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, other, other, coffees, other coffees are available. Um, but, you know, you get there, you buy yourself a Costa, it's three hours, you save yourself a ton of productivity and so does your team. That's great. Um, you know, for me, I think um, you know, another big benefit has been I'm not necessarily somebody who's always been great at focusing and it's really taught me how to focus without feeding off others. I, I, I tend to be the sort of person that that really craves and enjoys that group of people around. Like I'm a classic extrovert in that sense. I draw my energy from others. And so if there's a choice between sitting and doing some work and getting up and having a chat with someone, I'll always, I'll always pick the latter. So for can me, I, it's helped. Can yeah. I just interrupt you there? Because um, a, a lot of conversation right now about working from home or working outside of the office versus being office-centric has been around extroverts and introverts and focus and yeah. distractions. And um, it has been uh, the, the, the majority of the voices that, that I read and hear are saying that extroverts need an office to be productive. And then there's too many distractions at home. But you're saying the distractions are in the office. Yeah, I, 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 find, I find the office more distracting as an extrovert, definitely. However, I, I think what it's helped me to do is figure out ways of concentrating and getting in the kind of flow state when I'm on my own, which I've always found difficult to do, and I'm now better at it. So so that's definitely been an observation. I think two other positives, you know, we're, a, we're, we're an agency of 12 people. We have 12 full-time staff, permanent staff, and then we have a number of freelancers that work with us on various projects, but 12 kind of, you know, full-time permanent staff in the business. And uh, currently, and for us, you know, our head of social, um, who, who is a, a kind of um, social media marketer who, who worked in a house at Tui Travel and uh, Here Technologies, she's based in the States. So we, we've, our head of social doesn't work in, in the UK. And she, Interesting. Um, she dials in from um, San Francisco. Sometimes she's in Mexico. Uh, at the moment, she's in Texas staying with, with friends and family. She was in the UK over, over Christmas and January period. 
you know, she dials into, you know, she starts her day at 3 p.m. our time. She works into the, you know, into our evening and makes things happen. If you'd have told me, Caleb, when we were sitting in grind, that we'd have an international employee, you know, inside, well, it was actually inside six months of starting the business, I'd have thought you were crazy. And so that's been a huge benefit because because of the virtual setup, she feels like she's fully part of the team. Um, there isn't all the office banter going on that she's not part of. And do you think um, you think you would have brought her onto the team if we hadn't have been in lockdown? No, no. I mean, there's absolutely no way we would have been able to. We would have we would have done it, and we we may have done it for a specific project that we were working on. She worked with us on a a project we did for for Walters Kluver, which is a global information services company. And um, we did a big pharma social media campaign for them, which was very successful at the end of last year. Probably we would have we would have asked her to help us with that. But you know, to bring her on as a full time member of staff and a member of our our kind of you know extended management team, mm-hmm. um, you know, that just would not have been feasible on the basis that you know you want to we'd be hiring somebody that could be around us every day and working alongside us, and it just wouldn't have even been conceivable right. that we would have, have had an international employee. No, you didn't wake up one day in the middle of lockdown and decide to start this business. Presumably, there was been, there was some planning. So when you were planning this prior to lockdown, uh, prior to you know what we've gone through this past year, were you planning to to be a remote first company, or were you thinking you were going to have an office space and then the pandemic changed your mind? No, yeah, this is the this is sort of the irony is um, we we very much did not want to be a virtual agency. And so our first six months, we, we, we hadn't launched the agency, but we were kind of working together to set the business up. So, you know, talking to some clients, starting to look at setting up a roster, having meetings, that kind of stuff. But, you know, the firm wasn't, wasn't officially um, launched and trading at that point. But those six months, we were, we were obviously working from home. So that was September 2019 through April 2020. Now, yes, I was in town having meetings, but I was at home the whole time. And I was like, I can't wait until we move into the new office. And I was so desperate to move in. And then suddenly, I think it was February, March of 2020, we, we, we decided to move into the office, City Pavilion in Cannon Street. And you gave me a bit of steer on, on some, some venues that I should, should look at. So we moved in there um, in Cannon Green, just by, um, yeah, just by Cannon Street train station. And um, it was amazing. I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in an office. And we walked down, I walked down the Thames every day. And um, you know, it was such a joy. Three weeks later, <laughs> yep. Boris locks it down. And so for me, that was devastating because I kind of went from, I, I was, for me, like building a business was synonymous with being in an office and that office culture growing and, and more people coming into the business. And I was starting to impress ourselves and our culture and what we were all about onto that space. And then to have that removed as a result of COVID, I found very challenging. Roundabout way of, of answering your question. No, we were never intending to be a virtual office. Uh, we're still not. Um, there are many people, agencies that, that think that, that that's a viable model. Um, I don't. Hmm. Well, I want to get into that in a moment. But before we move on from the way we're working today, you talked about the best part. What's the hardest part for you? Yeah, there's a, there's a few. Um, there's a few. And I think I feel like we've been on this curve, this continuum. I'm sure you've, you've felt it as well. Where um, I, I got a lot of friends in the finance sector, for example, who you know a lot of them said initially, "Wow, if you'd have said to our, our leadership team, can we work from home for for a half day a week?" They'd have said, "No way, the business can't work like that." You, know, we trade. You have to be in the office. You have to be at your desk. And then suddenly, businesses like that overnight, you know, trading floors just got turned into remote <laughs> because they had to. They they went remote. 
And so I think for the first kind of three months, there were so many industries, ours included, that were like, okay, wow, we can do this. Like we can survive without being together. Uh, we got better at teams. We got better at the processes you need to, to kind of work remotely. And um, so I think, I think on the, the kind of early wave was positive. I think since then, some of the, um, you know, I think some of the, the challenges have started to have started to show themselves. And I think for me, the, the kind of the biggest challenges are, you know, firstly, you know, culture, um, you know, community is so I get so much joy and pleasure from being together with my team. We've had so many amazing moments, you know, we've won what, 15 clients over the last year and every single celebration has been a glass of champagne on zoom um you know for same four squares <laughs> and we've yeah. got some nice fun videos but how special would those moments have been if we'd all been together and able to go out for a night on the town to celebrate is that yeah. you know big you know we've, we've massively missed that um i think we've missed the camaraderie you know we've obviously been through tough times i set the business up with two fantastic friends dave and charlie and um, we've got an amazing management team uh, which is the three of us and also uh, uh, Gemma Ashley and Dan Bird, who we recruited um, uh, in the summer of, of last year. And, you know, there have been times where I have been struggling, they have been struggling, you know, you know what it's like, right? It's tough mm. business and mm -hmm. something's gone wrong. We've had issues with clients. You know, there's no one to pat you on the black. If you're in a bad mood and you work from home, you're in a bad mood all day, right? <laughs> if you're in a bad well. mood in the office, yeah, well, you are. You know, it might be that you get picked up at some point during the day because you want to call, but it's those in-between conversations where you're a bit down, someone pats you on the back and says, come on, makes a joke, cheers you up. Joe, if you ever need that. a pat on the back, I'll just, <laughs> just send me a WhatsApp and I'll virtually give you a pat on the back. <laughs> you know, I get what you're saying. I, I totally get what you're saying. And that, and that for me, you know, we definitely missed that. And then I think the biggest challenge, and this isn't unique to us, it's not unique to our industry. Um, so many of my friends are talking about, about this specific problem is, you know, it's, it's training, mentoring, coaching people. It's learning from people. You know, there is the learning through coaching, which can happen on teams. It can happen virtually. It's, it's tougher, but you can, you can sit with someone. You can go through a deck that they're working on or, or a document, talk them through it. And they can bring you up and ask you questions. They can ping you on teams. But it's the learning by osmosis. Right? That's what we're missing. Learning by osmosis. And I reckon 60% of the things I've learned were not taught to me directly as a coaching session, maybe even 80%, they were things I picked up from people of all levels within the organization doing all different kinds of roles. You know, people working on a presentation, I'm looking over their shoulder at how they're doing it and how they're setting it out and the information they're including, the length of time things are taking people to do. You know, how somebody is, um, you know, uh, approaching a, a meeting or, or kind of walking around the floor to prepare themselves to what they're going to say or you know, there's so much that is not coached that is that is learned through osmosis and, and everybody in the organization and in every um you know business is struggling with that um, i learn every day from dan Gemma, dave charlie um because they're inspiring people and they're amazing at what they do but i don't learn from sitting on the phone with them i learn from watching them work and, and that is something that we're all missing those those things you know community camaraderie and, and kind of coaching of the three big, big, big misses right now. Yeah, well, that's um, you know that's repetitive to what I've been hearing um, from a lot of the folks who are championing return to office, and um, I don't disagree. I think this is a big challenge. You know, there's 
there are certain digital tools out there to to support and, and make life easier, but um, you just can't replace certain aspects of face to face. And so I, I do I do agree with that. So which obviously is a good segue because you know you talk about your team's now twelve people. I assume you know you're winning all this business. You're going to be growing the team. Do you think you know? I'm curious. What's life look like? What's business life look like? As we come out of this pandemic, fingers crossed over here, um, do you expect to to get back into an office? Are you going to bring the team back, you know, back together? What's the plans? Yeah, so current plans, and I reserve the right to obviously for this to change because, you know, I think we all have to be in a test and learn mindset, at least for the next kind of 12 months as we as we figure out are some of the hypotheses we've got about and, you know, re-entry into work correct. But our, our plan right now is, uh, we just signed for a new office in Soho, which is exciting because, you know, from a personal perspective, I've, I've spent so much of my career in kind of, you know, in Hoburn. And it's just nice to be somewhere a little bit different. New set of pubs, new set of bars, uh, new set of yeah, lunch, well, lunch joints. So May, May, uh, May the 17th, I think, is when we can go back inside dining and pubs. And then June 21st is basically we're fingers crossed back to most 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 sense of normal. When are you moving into your offices? Yeah, so it'd be June twenty third. So that week we are, yeah, perfect timing, right? Perfect timing. So I look forward to having a having a couple of cocktails at MB Yard, um, just uh, the two of us, uh, Caleb, when uh, when things open up. And it's it's a place called Work Life. So you know, for us, the reason why we picked it, and it's yeah, you know, it's a six month kind of arrangement. And I think we're open minded about how that then develops. But the reason we picked it was because. Um, it's kind of got that hybrid. We've got our own space, um, which, you know, is kind of can, can sit nine people comfortably, which when we're all in will be over capacity. But when um, you know, we're thinking that that's probably not going to be the case most days, nature of our business is a lot of people are out, you know, with clients, taking, you know, with journalists, whatever it might be. Um, so that's why we why we picked it. But they've also got this kind of communal area and kitchen and all the rest of it. So yeah, for us, you know, we think it's going to work for now. Um, we're thinking about a two, three or three, two model. So two in, three out or three in, two out. Um, is, that again, a, is that going to be a policy or do you think that's just what you're going to end up as? No, I, I we will. Uh, what, what we're going to do is try and mandate the days or organize the days where we're all going to be together. Right. And so. I think that what's important is that everybody's in at the same time. I think we don't want to have a situation where five people are in on Monday and a different five people are in on Thursday. So, but it will be a, yeah, I mean, mandate's probably a strong word, but it's not something that, you know, we're going to give the direction about when we want people to be in the office and, and, and kind of make that, make that clear and, and ask people to do that so that we can um, invest in the culture and the, um, you know, bringing people together and all the rest of it. Well, speaking speaking of culture, and, and I know I'm deviating a little bit, but speaking yeah. of culture, um, are you when you direct when you coordinate these days in and out? If if there are team members who, for whatever reason, can't um, and they need to take a half day at home, like you know you referred to in the past, that what that would never been heard of at Weber Shanwick. Um, yeah, are, are you are you creating a culture where you're flexible in that sense, or are you going to stick by those two, three, three, two? rules yeah i i don't think so so when i was at weber i actually um introduced a, a policy where people could work from home whenever they wanted in my part of the building which is a little bit controversial at the time but 
um, you know, quite a lot of departments then followed suit because you know the irony was my team was the team that was in the office the latest every night and probably the most number of days a week <laughs> of everybody, mm. even though they were allowed to be at home whenever they wanted. And it was a bit like it's a bit like the whole unlimited holiday concept. You offer people unlimited holidays. Um, you know, ironically, if you measure it, most of them won't take as many holidays as someone that doesn't have unlimited holidays. And I think I, I very much believe in, in flexibility, right? If people say, if someone says to me, look, I, I need to get a doctor's appointment in the diary. Um, I can only do the day that we're all in the office. Of course, that's fine. And as much as possible, we might try and rotate, move the days. Um, because, for example, if we've got a big pitch, well, we all want to be together. We want to be working on sure. the presentation. We want to be rehearsing. So we might decide, OK, let's come in on the Thursday this week. Um, but look, uh, as I said, I don't have the answers. These are the things we're going to try. Yep. Um, and if they work, great. And if not, we're not going to be shy about changing it. That's a sensible approach. I think that we should all be doing that and, you know, asking lots of questions of our team members, of our clients and, you know, of our own challenging our own selves and, and yeah. go through this next period of what people are saying, return to office. Some say return to work, but we've all been working this whole time. But return to office is, 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 is a science experiment. But it's and interesting. Selfish, and selfishly, Caleb, you know, how, how you spoke to so many people, you're in the business. Are you are you feeling as though there is a a kind of crystallizing around a, a a kind of right way to go back or a hypothesis from lots of companies about what people think? Is is there something that you know? I guess if you had to to say what the favorite go back to work model is based on all the conversations you're having, what what do you think it is? I mean, can, candidly, my in my opinion is, is there isn't a model. Yeah. Um, there's too many nuances. Every company's different. Every culture is different. Every person's different. And so I think it's important for companies to engage with their teams, understand yeah. what works for their clients and what's going to make their business successful. And then, and then do what you're doing, test and see what works. And, and then something will come out of that. But, you know, culture is not something that you set. It's something that grows organically. And so I think as you, you can sort of guide a culture and bring on people that align with you. And, and if, if you, Joe, get too distracted in the office and you need to be at home sometimes to focus, well, you're probably going to attract, attract people to your team that are similar to that. And that's how your yes. culture grows. So I think that's a fascinating point that you've made. It reminds me of something I, I did want to bring up, which is, um, you know, we, we've had, uh, so, so we just hired a lady called Libby. And when we were sort of negotiating her contract, she was getting ready to sign it. And uh, she rang up uh, Gemma, who runs all our, our kind of people and recruitment stuff. I mean, Gemma basically runs everything, including the people and recruitment stuff. And, and Libby got in touch and said, look, I just want to check. You are going into an office, right? Like, you're not going to be a virtual agency, because that, that would be a bit of a challenge for me if, if that's what you were planning to do. And of course, you know, we're, we're absolutely planning to be a, a, a kind of office-based um, agency or hybrid. Um, but it was interesting that that someone like Libby actually felt it was really important that this, that, you know, to, to physically get that confirmed before she signed a contract. And she's not the only one. I mean, Lucy, another superstar in our in our fight or flight team. You know, she's you know, in her twenties. You know, living in shared accommodation. She's missing. You know, she, she's out of uni, maybe eighteen months out of uni. For her, she's missing that London. You know, first first three four years working living in London, which is such a joyful. Uh, time and experience, like learning how to how that how the city works, right? Mm. And she she's also kind of been pushing us and saying, look, are we going? I just want to double check. Are we going back in? I kind of I feel like I'm missing some of that in person interaction. So to your point, exactly about listening to the team 
and and ultimately the team people will gravitate towards organizations that operate in the way that correspond to their values and the way that they want to yeah, the way they want to work yep yep 100 percent. and i think that's the that's the key it's that communication the engagement but it's and when i say communication i mean com- communicating um what the objectives are of the company what the mission is of the company but also how the leadership succeeds themselves and then that's how you're going to attract people that align with with all of those things and so actually, I want to move that same topic and that same question into how you've chosen your your current office space. Did you is it, was this a consensus with the teams? Did you take the same approach, or did you and your co-founders go out and find the space? So um, Gemma and Charlie led led the process, and they did it they did it fantastically well. So they they went and as you'd expect, vetted lots of properties. They went and had a look at a WeWork and a you know spaces and all the rest of it. And um, you know, obviously, location was important we, we 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 didn't democratize the decision around location we kind of had a look at some spaces but in soho i think we found somewhere that's sort of equally inconvenient for, for everybody hmm. uh, which is sort of what we were looking for we didn't really want something that was uh, a lot of people come into waterloo myself included so Vauxhall or southwark would have been kind of useful for us but i think in that way it might have created a little bit of bad blood with others like imica comes in from slough you know Wait. she's coming into paddington you mean you're the managing partner and you didn't make everybody come to where you wanted to be? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it, you know, so so I, I must say I must say for the record, uh, I'm one of one of three managing partners, so it's, it's an equal equal okay. partnership in every way with Dave and Charlie. Um, so yeah, the, the three of us discussed it, and obviously we all had a point of view on it. Myself and Charlie come into Waterloo. Dave comes in from East London, so he was he was pushing um, he was pushing Hackney very hard, or um, uh, you know Shoreditch. But I think I think for us, you know, finding a location that was relatively central that wasn't too bad for anyone was going to work for everybody was important. Uh, so that was one part of it. But I think, as I said, the driving part of the decision was flexibility. We need somewhere that is going to let us do a six month lease because you know we're twelve people now, but we're recruiting for five more roles between now and the summer. So we'll be seventeen, eighteen by the summer, uh, potentially even by June by the time we move into the space. Um, so we needed somewhere that would allow us to flex up, flex down, and then we could potentially move out of or move into a different space within, you know, by, say, Christmas of this year. So that was really important. And then, as I said, making sure that we had the um, that this ability to have our own private space combined with um, that kind of communal area that we could break out into, that was key. And also one decision we had to make was, do we want something that we, we can all fit into on the days we're in the office, i.e. a space for 12 people, which is, of course, more expensive. And, you know, on the basis that at least two days a week, possibly three, there might only be, say, three or four people who want to come into the office because they don't want to be at home. And we kicked that decision around quite a lot. And where we landed was, let's be under, let's, let's be under capacity. Let's get a nine-person space. We can all cram in there, and it will feel like a <laughs> feel like a real startup environment if all of us are in. But we can kind of break out into different spaces, and it's very rare we'll all be in on the same day anyway. Um, but that was a decision as well. So um, those were the variables that that informed where we've eventually ended up. Well, you know, I, I thank you for sharing that, and um, I want to drill down a little bit deeper into the same question. And you know, back when. I was setting up bold, just like when you were setting up fight or flight, you were my go-to uh, in many times for thoughts, advice, feedback, 
uh, and so forth. And you, you know, one of the reasons that we set up Bold was to surround ourselves and work with people like you who are going out and in, in creating uh, value in the world. And um, so we built a brand around that. And, you know, obviously, if we if bold, one of our bold locations was in a in the in the location that you wanted to be in, you would have chosen us, of course, naturally. Of, but, of course. No <laughs> question. But, but no, on a serious note, I think what I, my question here is how much did brand play a role in the customer experience of the location? I know flexibility is important, location and price, but if you had two or three options in that location that met the flexibility and the price, what how much did brand play in your decision? Yeah. So I, I think brand has a huge role in the decision. Um, I would say two caveats. Number one, brand can brand can work for you and against you as a space, um, and you know probably don't need to say too much more on that, except for the fact that you know WeWorks obviously a brand that's got some challenges around it at the moment, and so you know that definitely impacted maybe some of our decisions. I feel like I also feel like WeWork is kind of got a bit of a rep as it's the people with the uh, MacBooks and the and the fancy headphones and you know it's it's kind of you know a bit hipster and stuff which it works against you because that's very much not what we are. I mean, I don't even know how to use an Apple device. So, so, um, so are you saying basis. that it works against them if they were trying to track people who weren't hipsters? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I do think it does to an extent. Not everybody would agree. I mean, we've got. There's a really good agency, a sustainability advisory agency called Fortitude that we work with who are in um, WeWork. And they're, you know, n- not like that. Um, and, um, you know, they, they would probably strongly uh, um, argue with the idea that, that that people in that space are like that. But it was my perception. That's what we're talking about here. It's about perception because brand okay. and perception go hand in hand. So, so that was number one. Brand can work against you as well as for you. I think also brand is not just a logo and a, and a, and a visual aesthetic, right? Brand is a, a kind of, it has, you know, it's, it's intrinsically wound up in the space and the ethos of the people inside the building and, and how that comes through. And, the, and frankly, the businesses that are inside it. And there are a number of media businesses inside, um, you know, the, the place we eventually selected. And in fact, um, completely by happenstance, um, one of the former Weber Shamwick agencies or an agency that Weber Shamwick acquired when I was there called Flipside, they they actually have a sort of you know, shadow office in this space, um, and so you know quite a few of our good mates from the old Weber days on the digital side um, are in there. Um, there's there's a lot of other kind of media and startup companies that are quite similar to us, so that that had an impact. Staff are absolutely fantastic, you know, very very. And that, that's not just us saying that. That's you know, I visited numerous times as a guest and always been impressed at that location and how welcoming and fun um, the staff are. So. You know, brand, brand, yes. And I think, you know, you go on the website of, of, of work.life and you look at their different venues and you look at the visual aesthetic and you look at the images and you look at what they prioritize and what they don't prioritize. Those things all play a part in the decision that you want to make. So I actually think most people, if you asked, did brand play a role in building an office in your office selection? I think a lot of them would say no. I think most of them played, for most of those people, brand played a much bigger role than they realized. Subconsciously, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, best, the best experience and the best brands is, one, is ones that it's not in your face, but, but it attracts you naturally. And, and I think 
the success of a brand is by building an experience that targets a specific group of people. And clearly, uh, you were attracted to this brand because it attracted it attracted you. If you look at the profile of the other people in the building, they're like you. So it totally makes sense. I get that. I think it was your chief, one of your best insights um, uh, that you built bold around. Of course, you know, you're somebody who has got a track record of of innovation and, and entrepreneurial success in this space anyway. Um, so you had a you had a head start in that respect. But I think one of one of the, the many things you got right with bold was was that exact insight that you know uh, a, a space says something about you and people subconsciously or consciously know that and so with, with bold it was about building spaces that were bold for entrepreneurs that are gutsy and have big ideas and um, are crazy enough to believe they can change the world to, to bastardize the apple phrase and i think that that sort of the strength of that brand was a big reason why it's been so successful and will continue to be so successful as it's um, as it's scaled. Well, well, thank thank you for that. You've played a, a big part of inspiring uh, what we do. So um, you know, always appreciated your insights over the years. And speaking of people who are bold, yourself challenging the status quo, I imagine the way you do that, fight or flight. You're attracting clients that are like you that appreciate your persona, your company's mission there to help them make an impact. Are they doing the same things though as you? Are, your, are, your, are you seeing your clients sort of reacting in the same way to how they're going to be officing in the future and how they've done it the last year? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And so I, I actually would hop back to my old Weber days just for, for a quick anecdote, because um, as you mentioned at the top of the, of the podcast, I, I used to run uh, the IBM account for Weber um, across Europe and um, some fantastic IBMers that we work with. But IBM was so far ahead of the curve on how they collaborated in a virtual environment, right? So they, they pretty much had the whole hybrid office thing down to an absolute T. They had people in the office, say, two days a week. Um, but lots of the team had these beautiful properties up in the, the northeast of England because they were only in the office for, for two days a week. And their whole culture was WebEx, camera on. Right. And at the time, it was remarkable. You're like, God, God, an IBM call. You've got to turn your camera on. You can't like pretend you're listening and do work. Yeah. But they were camera on people. And so they were so far ahead of the curve. And so I think for them, it's like COVID has proven the model. So it's, yeah, just yeah. double down on it. I think for others, you know, COVID has definitely, you know, thrown a spanner in, in the works. For the clients that are more traditional um, in how they approach, you know, workplaces, um, I'm not going to name names, um, but there was certainly a couple from my time in, in the last role. Uh, you know, big industrial companies, a lot of them had actually outlawed working from home. One of them in particular outlawed working from home. Um, and that, uh, yeah, which, which, had, which had created some huge, um, you know, issues in terms of, uh, you know, company culture and employee, employee morale. But also, in a way, you're kind of navigating some of the challenges that we talked about before that are inherent in um, in that virtual model. So I think for people like that, you know, virtual has shown them, you know, the virtues of um, having a little bit more flexibility in your in your approach. And I think others, you know, a lot of our clients now that we work with at Fight or Flight, um, they are high growth businesses, right, who are based um, all over the world. They're digital. They're, a lot of them are digital native companies. So they've been set up within the last five, six, seven years. Um, they're they're cloud based. They're agile. 
they're happy to be itinerant in how they think about their workspace. The idea of moving 150, 200 people to a different location isn't as daunting for them as it is for a sort of on-premise, traditional legacy IT system type business um, with a receptionist and a yeah, building manager and all of that stuff. So I, I think that for those those high growth businesses, um, I think I think it's 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 a time where there is a lot of opportunity, and I think they're all interested in what's going to crop up and how they might be able to leverage that. And I think a lot of them are very open minded about what that might might mean for them. Which you know I, I think is um, what's going to. I think if you're a, if you're a uh, somebody who's in the in the sector right now, right? If you if you're in the commercial real estate business. I think that's really interesting. You know, I think people are waiting for that next wave of innovation. And I think it's a it's a seller's market in that respect. Well, you mentioned the word opportunity, and, and that's w- what I want to ask you next is, um, you know, for companies like yourself and, and these fast-growing companies that you're supporting, do, do you have any advice for, for our industry, for, for the operators in, commercial, in flex space or the commercial real estate industry as a whole? Uh, any advice on winning business fr- from companies like yourself yeah yeah definitely so you know obviously we've just been through the process so so i can give some some personal um kind of thoughts i think the first is if flexibility is critical as i mentioned i think the more you can work flex into your kind of deal making i think that's critical to the extent that you know we we physically had a conversation which was we'll pay another you know what 20 25 percent if we can get that six-month break clause, so we've we've got that flexibility to move. So I think leading with that is key because what I do believe is that whilst I don't believe in the virtual agency model, and I've got um, you know a kind of a friend who set up his own virtual agency, which has, has done extremely well. I don't believe in the model. He he vociferously believes in the model, um, but you know for me, like there are so many itinerant businesses that are going to crop up. In the future, I, I would describe us as, as, as an itinerant business in the sense that we are not going to be have that same relationship with our office that people have had uh, in the past. Right when I started at Weber, it was you know just before the financial crash. It was desktop computers. It was you know five receptionists. It was meeting rooms. It was you know desk phones. You know, and you were there all the time, and the office was such a big part of the culture of your business, and it was fixed, right? It was it was very difficult to extract your culture from your building, and at times when you want to try and pivot your business, your building sort of spiritually inhibits you from doing that. And I think maybe we found that um, at Weber before we moved into the new digs, which were the ones you saw in Waterhouse Square. For us. We're not we're not in that situation. So many businesses that are the same age as us or a little bit older will look at our space and say, "No, our business is defined by the people inside it, the IP, the quality of the ideas, the work, the spirit, right, the fight or fright brand." We can take that brand and those people and those ideas and that ethos and those processes and work in any building in the country, and we will still be fight or flight, right? And I I think that's a mental leap that some of those older um, uh, businesses haven't done. So if you're in commercial real estate right now and you want to think about where the opportunities are, that's where it is. You know, it is that you've got, yes, a much more promiscuous um, group of customers, but also a customer, uh, a set of customers who are happy to experiment and happy to try new things. But my advice is leaving the practicalities to one side. You know, can you take um, experiments to businesses and say, look, you're here at the moment, 
come work with me for nine months. I've got this concept. I want to try it. We're going to pilot it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you're not going to be out of the space. We'll move you on to X, Y, Z deal. I feel like experimentation, bringing agencies on for pilots and building and building commercial real estate for the itinerant business that doesn't, isn't anchored and associated with a property in the same way as it used to be. I believe my generation of business owner is going to swap businesses in the same way that, you know, millennials switch jobs, right? It will be, I can honestly envisage a situation where we'd have five different offices in the next five years, you know? Uh, I mean, it sounds a bit hectic and it sounds a bit crazy to say it like that, but especially at this phase in our growth where, you know, we may grow 50% by the summer, we might grow 100% by the end of the year in terms of staff, but also into the future. Um, you know, your, your, your needs and the way you want to work with each other will change. And so for me, that's where the opportunity is, creating experiences and spaces for that, that itinerant, promiscuous customer who is happy to try different things and, and experiment. Well, I, I agree we need flexibility. I love the idea of testing and, and, and pilots and um, putting you as the customer at the center of, of the universe. But I want to I challenge one thing you said and, and, and get some, maybe get some clarification on this because you said you chose your current space based on the, the feel, the experience, the, obviously the location, the price, but, and the flexibility, but the actual the subconscious brand aspect of the customer experience and the, and the profiling that they did to deliver that experience to you and other people like you. So if you go into a, a building, is, why, why would you leave that building or go into multiple different ones over you know, five different times if that same building can accommodate your growth? There are numerous moments in a company's lifestyle cycle where what you need from your space changes. And so it you know, even though we like our current space, very simple logistical problem might be if we go up to 18 people and they can't accommodate us, we may then need to move. If they can accommodate us, um, it might be that, you know, we've seen another space that has a similar um, kind of shares our brand values and maps to what we're trying to accomplish, but uh, is able to offer us some value added services on top that we think will will bring even more value to our team. So it might be, you know, there's, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's, it would be because they do yoga classes and a gym membership, but it might be because, um, you know, the building has some really exciting breakout workshop spaces that we could use to co-create and collaborate with clients that we think we could, we could generate some real, real value um, from. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. It wouldn't be our intention to move every five years, but I think, I think there's a group of businesses coming through that wouldn't be afraid of doing it either, because I don't think employees expect to have the coffee mug and the mouse mat and, you know, the fixed monitor in the same way that they used to. Uh, and by the way, that's going to lead to a lot of bad back lawsuits, I imagine, well, as well. <laughs> well, I think the, the interesting point I take away from that is that the old model of signing a long-term lease and, and as, as an asset owner, as a landlord, and, and just thinking you've got a, cu a customer signed up for the next 10 or 15 years um, and you can sit back and just collect checks is over. And it's very much hands-on, staying close to the ground with your customer, making sure that you're providing with them and evolving your experience with their needs and their desires as they grow. Otherwise, someone else is going to win them over. 
And uh, I, I, I think that's right. And I think, but I also think having multiple brands in your portfolio Ooh. is key, right? Well, so, you know, I got to ask you about that. So, and I didn't even set you up for that. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that if you, you know, brand is important, you know, we're never going to walk into a Regis. You know, we're just never going to do it. it. It doesn't align with who we want to be and what we want to be, be known for. And so, you know, Regis therefore needs to have other brands in its portfolio that can attract um, and keep people like us. I can also see a situation and we're looking out into the future here where, you know, there are businesses that have multiple brands, not, not just, you know, I know there are tons of businesses right now that have portfolio brands and, and Caleb, uh, you're obviously in one, but, 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 you know, 25, 30 different brands potentially that can appeal to all different kinds of, you know, business and uh, business owner, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, the food delivery market is quite a good uh, analogy for this. You know, there are, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's in the US, there are, um, you know, food delivery companies that are setting up and they're, you know, offering, you know, six or the restaurants are offering six different menus and they're buying six different justy um, kind of, you know, storefronts and, and six different menus behind those storefronts to cater to consumers that want chicken wings or a consumer that wants a chicken burger, right? And having like two different menus because actually the smaller the menu is, the more likely you are to convert customers. So I feel like it's a similar analogy in the in the real estate world where I think you need a bold and a bold plus and a bold plus plus and a sister of bold and a brother of bold that, that matches all different kinds of, of what people want out of space and what people believe they're believe their sort of overall office is going to be. So I think multiple brands is is ab- going to be absolutely critical if you want to keep businesses throughout their uh, growth journey and, and as their identity changes and morphs. All right. So similar question, but slightly different. Do you have any advice for other fast growing companies like yourself and in, in, uh, the companies you support? Yeah, I, I think my biggest piece of advice is don't forget to communicate. And I know I would say that because I work for a communications business, but it's a very easy thing to forget as you're growing quickly. Um, And as you start to scale, you need to communicate regularly with all your audiences, what you're doing, why you're doing it, whether it's your customers, your partners, your employees, your stakeholders, your investors, you have got to communicate and communicate. It's a very easy thing to lose when, when business is good and revenues are, are increasing and your staff counts increasing. Uh, but if you fail to do it, you will, you know, you'll pay the price and you'll, you'll kind of suffer setbacks as a result. Well, and I, and I would just add to that, communicate um, in the way that you guys are doing it, because the reason why, you know, we appointed you and your team back in the Weber days is because you really went out and challenged the status quo. You, you didn't just, you know, send out press releases. You guys took a hold of the conversation and shook it. Um, yeah. So I think it's communicating, but communicating in a very bold way. I'm going to say. So of course, I, I, I pick a channel, right? Pick a channel you're going to dominate and dominate it, right? Don't try and do 15 different channels. For us, it's LinkedIn. You know, for you, it might be Instagram or whatever. Pick your channel and dominate. Good advice. Good advice. Well, of course, I have to ask. You know, considering um, we're talking about the commercial real estate industry, would you take on any forward-thinking real estate companies on board as a client? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course we would. Of course we would. We're open for business. I think, I think for us on a serious note, we are looking for 
right now, the real estate industry is in a state of disruption, right? And that's why it's exciting. And that's our experience. We work with businesses and in sectors that are being disrupted. And I think there are so many kind of nascent uh, businesses in, in the space right now that are shaking things up, you know, uh, disrupting old business models, introducing new business models. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think it'd be a very cool, to, cool time to work with the client in the real estate sector. So, you know, if you're interested, uh, pick up the phone, Joe at fightflight.co.uk. We would love to, <laughs> we would love to help tell your story. Sorry for the plug, Caleb, but you did team me up. I did. I did. And don't worry, we'll, we'll put links to your website and everything in the show notes. So you, you guys check, you know, connect, connect with Joe. Look, this is, I uh, appreciate you coming on and, sh and sharing all your insights. Um, you know, this isn't meant to be obviously an advertisement for you. Um, but I really wanted to dive in deep because I think you're a profile customer that's going through the changes right now. A lot of times the enterprise companies get all the, in the unicorn companies get all the headlines, but you guys, your profile is the majority of the number of customers out there. So I wanted to hear your, your thoughts, but I want to move into the quick fire round and the quick fire round, uh, you know how this works. Quick question, quick answer. And the first one is who inspires you? Gary Neville. Gary Neville. Who is Gary Neville? <laughs> Gary Neville is a, a Manchester United right back. He inspires me because he was um, nowhere near good enough to play for Man United, but he just worked extremely hard and made a lot of sacrifices. Ooh, I like that underdog. And you know, every, all of my all of my northern friends are probably saying, "Stupid American, go back home." <laughs> I knew who he was. Um, all right, great answer. Um, okay, next question is: um, What podcast or media do you tune into to stay up to date on the latest industry trends or to challenge your thinking? Yeah. So, um, other than than the Work Bowl podcast, obviously, I I would plug uh, Tim Ferriss. Um, his podcast, I, I think, is fantastic. Uh, I also really like Harvard Business Review After Hours, uh, which is a podcast with uh, some of their top professors talking about just kind of deconstructing industries and contemporary businesses in, in really insightful ways. Excellent. We'll put those links down in the show notes then too. And um, my last question for you, Joe, is what is your favorite holiday destination when we can travel again? So for me, it's got to be Guernsey. We were married in Guernsey, my wife and I. She's a Guernsey girl, born and bred. We've got very happy memories of our two kids growing up on the beach. We were gutted to miss it last year. So many friends and family out there. I can't wait to be on Varzon with a, a pint of cider um, and a packet of, packet of uh, chips. Excellent. Thanks again, Joe. Really, really appreciate you come on, coming on. I'm looking forward to catching up um, for that um, pint in Soho soon. <laughs> Looking forward to it, Caleb. Thanks for having me on, and um, I hope folks have enjoyed the, the conversation. Excellent. Well, everyone, be sure to connect with Joe on LinkedIn. We've put links to his profile down in the show notes. And thank you for listening. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.